We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. One of the great books in the Bible, of course, is Ephesians. And today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. And in the first three chapters, Paul, in a very vivid way, stresses the redemptive work of God through Christ. The latter part of the book, Paul would accentuate our responsibilities, our relationship to Christ. Chapter 2 would be one of the pinnacle chapters in this great book. Because what Paul is saying is that those of us who formerly had been dead in sin are now alive in Christ Jesus. So when you think about people who are outside of Christ... Physically, they might be alive and well, but spiritually, it is as if they are but a walking corpse. And so Paul here is saying, look, if you're in Christ, you're alive, and you've got a lot to be grateful for. So let's begin by looking at the first three verses in chapter 2 as we think about a description of all who are in sin. I want to begin this point by talking about The wretched condition of a sinner. Listen to what Paul says in verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now sin, of course, being a missing of the mark. And Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In that same opening, he would say, there is none righteous, no, not one. John would say that sin is the transgression of the law. And so what Paul is saying here is that those who are living in sin, literally they are dead in sin. Listen again. And you he made alive who were formerly dead in trespasses and sins. Not only are those who are living in sin dead in sin, But sadly, they are doomed in sin. You know, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, The wages of sin is death. Isaiah, in a very graphic way, in Isaiah chapter 59, talks about how sin separates us from Almighty God. So we're alienated from all of the great blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. So first, he points out the wretched condition... Of a sinner. But then he notes the worldly course of a sinner. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I want to begin this point by saying that those who are living in sin, according to the Apostle Paul, They have chosen a worldly course in this life. And so ultimately what happens is they are living a deceptive life. Do you remember John in Revelation chapter 12 at verse 9? 
identified the devil as the deceiver of the whole world. The devil is the master of deception. No wonder Jesus identified him in Matthew chapter 13 verse 39 as the enemy. He is called the devil. He is a slanderer. He is Satan, the adversary. And Peter said he walks about seeking whom he may devour. So those who are living in sin, they have been deceived by the devil. It is a deceptive life. It is a destructive life. Destructive because it is a life outside all of the covenant blessings associated with Christ Jesus. Think about people in our world today who are living in sin, sometimes because of the very nature of their lifestyle, they're living a very destructive life. They're destroying their body, their mind. Solomon would write many, many years ago, the way of the transgressor is hard. Why? Because it's a destructive life. Paul talked about that law of sowing and reaping in Galatians chapter 6. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, that every seed brings forth after its own kind. So Paul would say that those who sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. So I would submit to you that those who are living in sin, they are living a wretched life and a worldly life. The devil uses the world to bait us, doesn't he? Do you remember John talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? These are avenues that the devil uses to exploit us, to take advantage of us. To, as Paul would say, imprison us. I would also add that it's a devilish life because it is a life that is controlled by the devil. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 8 that those who live in sin are literally the bondservants of sin. Paul in Ephesians 2, 2 talks about those who walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The world has a prince. And that prince is Satan. And there are a lot of folks that are his children. Now there's a third thing I want you to see. And that is, it is a wasteful course. Listen if you would to verse 3. Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Paul here including himself in this description of those who live in sin. Because Paul, as you well know, at one time had been a blasphemer, a persecutor. He said that he had been an insolent man. He had done much to the cause of Christ by way of harm. And yet he had been converted to Christ and became a great ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul here is talking about those who allow the carnal side of life to win out. 
It's all about gratifying self and gratifying the flesh. Paul here is saying that those who do so are living a life of waste. I think about people that sadly have wasted their time, their talents, and their treasures in sin. The song we sang just a moment ago, Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not that my Lord was crucified. There are people that have wasted their life in sin. Individuals who have been blessed immeasurably with tremendous talents and abilities that if used in the right way could be such a blessing to the human family, could be a great blessing to the cause of Christ. People that have been blessed materially speaking that could take those material resources and channel those in a good way to bless the lives of others. To share the gospel with people. To render benevolence or aid to others. And then, as the song says, the years that have been spent in vanity and pride. All of the time wasted. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul would say that we are to walk carefully, redeeming the time. Let me tell you what, time gets away so quickly. And we could ask the question, Are you using your time wisely when it comes to your tour here on planet Earth? Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we think about this description of all who are in sin. But secondly, the deliverance of all by the Savior. Let me me begin this point by asking this question. What's the motivation behind our salvation? If somebody were to ask you, Why in the world would God want to save us? You ever wondered that? Why would God be concerned about those of us who belong to the human family? What would motivate the creator of the heavens and the earth to save us? I mean, why would he do it? Listen to what Paul says in verse 4. Paul's going to answer this question. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. First, he reminds us of God's matchless, marvelous mercy, doesn't he? Back in Psalm 103, and some have identified Psalm 103 as our divine benefits package. The psalmist there emphasizes all the great blessings that we enjoy in the Lord. And he said, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them who fear him. Mercy denoting active pity. The fact that God is merciful toward those those of us who belong to the human family. That He has pity on us. His marvelous mercy, and then note if you would, His lasting, lavish love. But God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love, with which he loved us. Paul here is saying, look, God 
loved me. Do you remember in Galatians chapter 2 when Paul said he had been crucified with Christ? And he, and he said of the crucified Savior who loved me and gave himself for me. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8, God is love. There are a lot of things that we could say about the nature of God. One of the things that shines out in a world filled with darkness and hatred is the love of God. Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. That is inclusive. There is not a person who has ever lived that God hasn't loved. You think about God loving you enough to take the appropriate steps to procure for you salvation. When we talk about something that's personal, look, if it's not personal, it's not real, is it? I mean, Paul said, Christ loved me. Christ gave himself for me. The love of God. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, When we were yet without strength, Christ died. Listen to him, for the ungodly. In verse 8 he said, God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You mean to tell me that God would be merciful to a creation? Do you mean to tell me that God would be merciful and loving toward a human family that is ungodly, that is unworthy, Yes, that's what I'm telling you. So you think about his marvelous, matchless mercy, his lavish love, and then his golden grace, the greatness of his golden grace. Listen again to what Paul said. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Look at verse 9. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Are you telling me that we haven't done anything to merit the grace of God, that's exactly right. We can't merit it. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. But God is the benefactor of His grace. Somebody shared many years ago a definition of grace that I've always remembered. Grace is simply someone doing for you what you can't do for yourself. We were not, as members of the human family, in a position to save ourselves, were we? There's nothing that we could have done to have saved ourselves, and yet God, in His grace and kindness, interceded on our behalf to save us, didn't He? Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation in the Garden of Eden? God had a plan in place before He ever laid the foundation of the world. John identifies Jesus as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So He has this plan 
ready to be executed. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, what did God do? He began unveiling His marvelous plan of redemption. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The unveiling of the promised seed, the Messiah, the Son of God. And from that time forward, God began putting into motion His redemptive plan. If somebody were to ask you, okay, what's the theme of the Bible? Here it is, the scheme of redemption. God's redemptive plan for us. And so God in His mercy, love, and grace has made it possible for us to enjoy the blessings of salvation. So I think about the motivation behind our salvation, but what about our liberation? Paul said the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man. Okay, God has been merciful to us. He loves us. He has showered His grace upon us. What then are the benefits? Can I be liberated from sin? The answer is yes. The beauty of the cross is you can be saved. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, He made it possible for us to appropriate His cleansing blood, didn't He? So here's what Paul says. First and foremost, when you think about being liberated in Christ, let me just pause here and say, God has done His part to save us, hasn't He? So the question is, what then must we do to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of salvation? Well, obey the gospel. What the people did in the first century, for example, on Pentecost Day, is what we must do to appropriate the blessings of the blood of Christ. Do you remember when those people were pricked in their heart as a result of the gospel message and they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles and they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? And here's what Peter said. First and foremost, he said, you need to repent. They already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He talked about the fact that Jesus had done many miracles and wonders and signs in their midst. He had been crucified by the hands of lawless men. They knew that. They believed in Jesus, so they repented of their sins and they were instructed to be baptized for the remission of sin. That is, so their sins could be forgiven. So, when we do that, what what can we expect? Well, number one, Paul said we're raised in Christ. Look, if you would, at verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins or dead in trespasses, he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together with Him. When you died to the love and the practice of sin, and were baptized into Jesus Christ, you rose to walk in what? In newness of life. Paul said, look, at one time you were dead in trespasses and sins, but now you're alive in Christ. In verse 5, Paul said that Christ made us alive together with Him. He's raised us up together with Him. We've been raised in Christ, and we are rich in Christ. Look at verse 3, chapter 1. Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, or its equivalent, is found 35 times in this book. 
suggesting to us the importance of being in Christ. And what Paul is saying is, look, every spiritual blessing known to man resides in one place, that's in Christ Jesus. So when you're in Christ, you've tapped into all these marvelous blessings and benefits. So we're raised with Christ, we are rich in Christ, and we are redeemed by Christ. Look at verse 7. It's in him with... It's in him that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus redeemed us by his blood, didn't he? Do you remember 1 Peter chapter 1 when Peter said we've been redeemed not with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. To think that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for our sin. So we can enjoy the cleansing power of His blood. We can be redeemed. We sing the song, I'm redeemed. We've been redeemed by His blood. And then there's another thing. We are reconciled through Christ. Look at verse 16, chapter 2. Paul said that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. That means when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've been raised with Christ, we are rich in Christ, we are redeemed by Christ, and we are reconciled by Christ. The place of reconciliation is the church. So when we obey the gospel of Christ, God puts us in the church, Acts 2.47. It is the sphere of the saved, Ephesians 5.23. And the beauty is we enjoy reconciliation with our Creator. In the Garden of Eden, man sinned, didn't he? As a result of sin, he was alienated, estranged from God. Jesus went to the cross to bring both Jew and Gentile together where? In the cross or in the body, in his body. So we're blessed. So we think about the motivation behind our salvation, our liberation through salvation. First, there is the description of all who are in sin. Secondly, the deliverance of all by the Savior. And then thirdly, the duty of all who are saved. Note if you would verse 10. In verse 10, Paul is going to say that we are the workmanship of Christ. He said we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. The word workmanship is the term from which we get our word poetry. In the New Jerusalem Bible, the translators render Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, as the work of art. For we are God's work of art. And the idea is that in Christ, we are God's masterpiece. Sometimes we think about famous painters. Paintings that are renowned. Known the world over. And we talk about how that is their masterpiece. Some literary works. Individuals have spent their life writing, and they have become classics. 
And it might be the case that there is one that is the consummate of all their work. And they'll say, this is my literary masterpiece. What Paul is saying is, in Christ Jesus, you are God's masterpiece. You are His work of art. In other words, you are the best of the best. How's that made possible through Jesus Christ? So we are the workmanship of Christ. And then Paul says, we are workers for Christ. Listen again, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Two things here very quickly. The first is we are privileged to be workers in the kingdom, aren't we? It is a privilege to serve the Lord. If you had had the opportunity to interview the Apostle Paul and over the course of your interview you were to ask him, Paul, is it a privilege for you to be a servant of the Lord? You know what he would have said? Absolutely. It is my privilege. I'm privileged to serve the Lord Jesus. I'm privileged to suffer for the Lord Jesus because my life is all about it. That's why when he wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2 verse 14, he would say that we are to be zealous for good works because that's who we are. We're people who work in the kingdom of God. It is a labor of love. It's something that we cherish. We want to work in the kingdom of God. We want to reach out to those who are lost and dying in sin. We want to minister to those who are in need whether it be emotional needs, physical needs, mental needs, whatever the needs, spiritual. It's all about ministering in the lives of people. So it's a privilege, but there is a purpose for working in the kingdom. Listen again to what Paul said. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In chapter 3, Paul would say, unto him be glory in the church. We're to live to bring honor and glory to God, aren't we? So what Jesus said is simply this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So everything that we do in the name of Jesus Christ, we do it for one purpose. That is to bring honor and glory to God. It's not about us. It's not about personal adulation, attention, but rather it's about glorification, glorifying Almighty God. So let me tell you what, if you're in Christ, you're alive, alive and well. And even though your life, physically speaking, may not be what you would like, and it may be the case that you are now older in years, And your body doesn't function as it once did. Your mind is not as clear as it once was. But what Paul is saying is, let me tell you what, in Christ you are alive. More so than you've ever been. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me tell you. You need to be in Christ. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 11 that those who are outside a covenant relationship with God. Listen to him. He said they're without hope and without God in this world. No hope, no God. 
But if you know God, you know hope, don't you? So the difference is tapping into the blood of Christ. Because in verse 12 he said, or rather verse 13 he said, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. How can you take advantage of the blood of Christ? Well, just do what they did in the first century, obey the gospel. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is exactly who He claimed to be. Be willing to repent of all your sins, just like they did on Pentecost Day. Confess the greatest name known to man, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. Look, if you'll do that, God will put you in the church. You'll be alive in Christ. More alive than you've ever been. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, for whatever reason you need the prayers of the church, maybe you're not faithful and you want the prayers of the church, you want to ask the family here to pray with you and for you, and we'd be happy to do that. With the assurance that God will faithfully forgive every sin, 1 John 1, 9. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love